0: Welcome everyone to episode number eight of the Pensburg podcast. I am your host Garrett Bahana. Uh, joined this week once again by our Swiss Army knife here at Pensburg. She is Caitlin Dividock. Caitlin, how are you?
1: I'm doing. I'm doing okay. Garrett, how are you doing?
0: <laughs> you know, um, I've had, I've had, I've had, I've had better experiences watching the Penguins over the last, I don't know, five to seven games. Uh, yeah. Last night being one of those. Experiences that I've had much better viewing experiences. Uh, for those of you who may not know what we're talking about, or who just want a quick refresher of the game last night at the time of recording, they the Penguins played the Colorado Avalanche, and in the midst of what can probably be described as a little bit of a roller coaster of a ride in terms of uh, wins and losses over this last. Uh, stretch of five to seven games since our last podcast went out right before Thanksgiving. Uh, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag here for the Penguins uh, over the last, I'd say, five to seven games. Really, it, it's, it, it seems like that the team has been in uh, a win-one, lose-one, win-one, lose-two kind of mode uh, since our last podcast on November 15th. The, the Penguins have gotten some pretty convincing wins against teams like the Dallas Stars, uh, and even against their division rival, the Columbus Blue Jackets. And it seems like, I don't know how much uh, how much stock you want to put into this narrative. Uh, the Penguins seem to have a lot of success against Western Conference teams. Um, more specifically, when looking at this last five to seven game stretch, the Penguins have played the Winnipeg Jets and the Dallas Stars, beating both of them, beating the Stars by a score of five to one, and the Jets by a score of four to three. So, the continued success that the Penguins have had uh, against Western Conference teams, Caitlin. It seems like the only teams that the Penguins can beat are the 16 in the Western Conference. So, if uh, un- unfortunately, the schedule makers at the league office can't really give the Penguins the rest of these games against the Western Conference teams. That would be that would be an ideal situation, seeing how their record against Western Conference versus Eastern Conference is completely flipped. I think their record against Western Conference teams is like nine two and two, something like that. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but conversely, the Penguins' record against the Eastern Conference teams. Uh, it's probably sub five hundred. It's probably horrendous seeing how the team only has ten wins uh ten wins total. but uh caitlin what 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 were some of the bigger thoughts the the bigger talking points that you may have seen since our last podcast over this last I don't know five to seven game stretch?
1: um well, there are a lot of big ticket things that sort of uh, happened. I guess you could say, like you said over the past seven games or so, um the emergence of Tanner Pearson is one of them. Um, I think it's just again one of those weird things where a change of scenery, that old cliche where you jump from a team that's not doing really well that's thirty first in the league, and you you know aren't on a line with skilled enough players that are helping you um out on the ice and then suddenly you're shipped off to the eastern. Conference to a team like the Penguins, you have you know a plethora, especially down the middle of skill, that can you know help out your game. um I, I mean, that's exactly what happened to Pearson. And as soon as he got here, luckily it was kind of funny actually. Whenever the trade happened, Crosby I think was still hurt at the time. So in uh, like the twenty four hours that Pearson arrived in Pittsburgh, he got one morning skate, not even a practice. He got a morning skate and was just automatically placed on the top line with Malkin. And I, I think at that point it may bank um kessel i'm not i can't remember exactly but yeah like as soon as he gets here he's placed on the top line he has no practice um literally a a walk through and you know just erupts and he didn't have a goal coming into um uh, pittsburgh and then suddenly i think now he has either three goals in five games or four four goals in five games i think it's three um just because, you know, Malkin's quarterbacking him and they're playing really, really well together. So he's definitely one of the, the big ticket items uh, currently uh, in play. Um, and then, of course, whenever Crosby returned from uh, his upper body injury, he just absolutely exploded. It's I can't even describe how extremely well he's been playing. Like it's, it's vintage Crosby. It's all, the Crosby that, you know, us as fans have got to know for the past 13 you know, seasons. He's been ridiculous. So, I I think that the past seven games um, have looked a lot better. Obviously, the Western Conference they've done really good things against. For some reason, like you said, they're having tons of success. Um, they did win that game against Columbus to maybe turn around how they fare against the East. Um, but recently, uh, it's been it's been a lot better. Um, and I think prior to yesterday's loss, they were you know, winners of eight points in the last 10 in, like, five games prior to that, and it looked like a complete one hundred and eighty flip from what we were seeing in the beginning of the season. So I think now that, you know, Crosby's healthy, um, the fourth line here and there is sort of kind of finding itself. Um, they still, you know, check really well and, and whatnot, but that game... I th- what game was it, Garrett? Do you remember what game the fourth line decided to just erupt? Was that uh, the Jets? That was a Jets uh, game, I think,
0: right? I, yeah, I think... There was a lot of there was a lot of chatter being made on social media about the the team finally getting the depth and the secondary scoring. It, I think yeah. it was the game against the Jets where the, everyone everyone in the bottom six kind of started to chip in and get on the yeah. stat sheet.
1: Which I mean, they were playing one of the, I think they're the, either a top fifteen team in the league or a top twelve team in the league. Uh, the Jets are, and this was. A, a, literally a game after Patrick Linea scored five goals on five shots. So like, it was really, really nice to see that, you know, when the bottom six actually scores, this team is is unbeatable, even in you know, amidst in game adversity. And I think in that Jets game, they had a short short handed goal against. Excuse me. They had power plays that they just didn't convert on. Um, penalties that were you know, ill-timed and they faced all of that and then went on to win. So, I mean, they did get a lot of puck luck, but the, the bottom six scoring showed that this team is very much a playoff contender when they play like one and they have the, you know, the skill sets to do it. They just haven't been executing as well as they could have.
0: So, yeah, you, you brought up a, a ton of talking points, uh, basically recapping the last uh, five to seven games, like we were talking about. Uh, we, we can go through them uh, briefly briefly. One by one, Uh, you started off with Tanner Pearson, and uh, I I think the the Tanner Pearson trade was made just as we were ending the last podcast. So, uh, given that week and a half to two week stretch now to settle in, I I, I don't know about you, I I don't want to speak for you, but I have been thoroughly impressed with with Tanner Pearson, uh, finally getting settled in. And, And to your point, like you said when describing him, you know, he came here. Uh, he he came here for a walkthrough and maybe a morning skate. And the first game he was here, he was slotted on that first line with Evgeny Malkin. And I I think for any player who gets traded for whatever reason, whether it be a change of scenery, uh, deadline rental, what have you, I I think there's going to be that that adjustment period that all players probably have to get a feel for this, this new, this new scheme or system or what have you for that specific, whatever that specific coach wants implemented. But And and Tanner Pearson's case, I don't think it hurts when you have a generational talent like Evgeny Malkin centering your line. Uh, I think that was something. uh, I I think having being centered by those superstars was something that was lacking in Pearson's game in Los Angeles, uh, especially towards the end of his tenure, uh, as he kind of like flamed out. Then he comes to Pittsburgh, and like you said, since in the last five to seven games. Uh, Pearson has registered uh, th- three goals, I think, in his last five games. I think that was the stat that you said. Uh, yeah, talking- it's three. Yeah. I checked. It is so, three. So-, yeah. so there we go. We- we're talking about a guy who was snake bit and and couldn't buy a goal and was scrounging for offense when he was in Los Angeles at, at the end of his tenure in Los Angeles. And now he's coming here, and it visibly looks like he has acclimated quite well to whatever Mike Sullivan and the, and the rest of the team is asking of him. Um, when comparing Tanner Pearson and Carl Hagelin, uh, obviously both of the players that were that were swapped in that deal between Pittsburgh and Los Angeles, um, we kind of touched on it briefly in our last podcast with Nick Moraldo and when when Jimmy was co-hosting Um, some of the benefits that Carl Hagelin had during his tenure in Pittsburgh. But for, for what Carl Hagelin has in, in speed uh, I think uh, Tanner Pearson uh, really makes up for his, in his play with uh, finishing plays and getting to the net and scoring the goals really having those hands to, to get the puck in the back of the net, something that, You know, for for as well as Carl Haglund played here in his uh, couple of year tenure in in, in Pittsburgh, he was always – it was always about Haglund not finishing plays and having hands of bricks. And, you know, he he really couldn't find the back of the net. For for a guy like Tanner Pearson, who may be slower than Carl Haglund – I mean, because let's be real, there's not a lot of players in the league that can match Haglund's speed – I Having the ability for a guy like Pearson to come in and be slotted on that second line, having a winger that has hands now. Again, it's no detriment to Carl Hagelin. I, he was a great he was a great asset uh, while he was in here at Pittsburgh. But having a guy with hands who's able to properly finish these plays alongside of ganny Malkin, and slowly but surely getting that production uh, it, to round out the top six. Even though if it's not. Tanner Pearson may not be the first name that comes to mind when you think of a left winger for Evgeny Malkin, but for Pearson to come in, get situated, and slowly but surely get rewarded on the stat sheet, I think has been the the biggest plus side to his game and to the Pittsburgh Penguins game as well. I mean, the Penguins like 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 we said, they were they're they're still kind of figuring out where they are in terms of the standings, you know, they're, they're kind of going up and down almost like a roller coaster, but, uh, Pearson's presence. I, I think the trade has worked wonders in the early, early goings for Pittsburgh. And conversely, if you want to talk about the return for the lot for the Los Angeles Kings ever so briefly, uh, I believe Carl Hagelin unfortunately has suffered an MCL injury that will sideline him for, I believe the next four to five weeks. So, uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you never want to see uh, a former a former Penguin or any player, for that matter, be injured for any uh, extended period of time. But uh, the trade on the Pittsburgh Penguin side of things couldn't have come at a better time. And we couldn't you, you couldn't have been asking for better results if you're a Penguin fan watching Tanner Pearson in the early going.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the Penguins won the trade like there's no if ands or buts about it. Like they won the trade. Um, like you mentioned, with Hagelin getting hurt, I mean, it's a really terrible circumstance for him, but like, you know, say that same injury happened while he was still on the Penguins, they'd be, you know, at a loss. So Tanner Pearson isn't even slow either. He's he's a quick guy. Um, he has a great snapshot. He gets to the net all the time. Like literally, he's he's one of those guys that, and I think Penguins fans will kind of rejoice about this. He's one of those guys that doesn't overthink his. You know, uh, situation on the ice. Like if he has an open net or an open lane, he'll throw the puck on net. Even if it's not that great of a scoring chance, he'll still throw it there just to see what'll happen if a rebound get, get, gets kicked out. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, I, it's something that Haglin never, ever did. Um, occasionally his speed would be utilized on a breakaway and then he'd hit the guy in the logo. Um, but Pearson, not only is he quick, he's obviously, like you said, not as fast as Hagelin, but he's still quick. And he gets the puck to the net and he creates chances and he creates rebound opportunities and he fills lanes and he does everything that you would want a winger to do. And when he has Evgeny Malkin able to, you know, serve up pucks for him and vice versa, it's it's almost like a match made in heaven. So, yeah, the Penguins are very fortunate that Pearson is now um, excelling in, in the role that he's given. And that seemed to happen to a lot of Penguins or, or I guess, new Penguins that come into the, the city via trades or signings.
0: So let's continue with that the the talk of the forwards here, and more specifically, uh, Sidney Crosby coming back from this upper body injury that was never really uh, it it was never really detailed in great uh, great length what this injury was what this injury was. Uh, I guess that is irrelevant now that Crosby is back on the ice. And and Kate, let's go through uh, let's go through Sidney Crosby's last five games because this is. This is vintage Sidney Crosby, and to your point that you were making earlier, it's it's a shame that the Penguins are in the position that they are in currently, uh, being I, I think they're 10, 9, and 5 or something like that. It's a shame that their record doesn't reflect Crosby's play over the last five games because he has essentially put his team on his back to try and will them to get these much-needed wins. I, I want to start uh, in, uh, the game against the Dallas Stars on November 21st which was i believe his first game back if i'm not mistaken uh, yeah, it Cros- is. yeah crosby in his first game back played nearly 17 minutes of ice time registering one goal two assists for a total of three points in a game that the penguins thoroughly outmatched the dallas stars winning uh, 5 to 1 i believe it was and and you can look back at that game specifically and say that the dallas stars were depleted all over their team um, i believe they were missing two of their key defenders if not more uh, of their uh, key forwards, but the fact of the matter is that the Penguins got two points and they needed two points, and you know the Penguins certainly aren't going to feel sorry for any other team in this league who are dealing <laughs> with injury woes. So uh, having having your captain come back and and delivering a performance like that, registering three points in in, in after missing, I, I think it was maybe a week a little over a week. I think that was exactly what this team needed to really get back uh get back in the win column. Uh we'll follow we'll fast forward to November 24th against the Blue Jackets where Crosby again had another another multi-point game reg- registering two assists in what I believe was a 4 to 2 victory uh over their division rival. So again, Crosby is After this upper body injury, he's again on the score sheet, and he's again impacting his team, impacting the game in a positive way, and more importantly, getting two points. Again, these points are crucial. You know, we've been saying since we started this podcast at the beginning of the season, and the the Penguins have been struggling since the beginning of the season. We've been saying, oh, it's early October. Oh, it's mid-October. It's late October. It's early November. It's mid-November. It's still early in the season, and while that still may be the, the case this ever so slightly time is running out where you you can continuously say it's early in the season. Uh, You you know, I think we've, we've already played a fourth uh, of of games. I think if I'm doing my math right and I may not be doing my math right, because math is obviously (laughs) not my strong point. Um, But, but still, the point remains that we're running out of time for us to say, Oh, it's still early in the season enough for the team to rebound. And when looking at the Metropolitan, I, I, I was looking at the Metropolitan division standings before we started recording. I think that the Penguins have twenty-five points, and they're not dead. La- they're, they're, they're thankfully they're not dead last in the division, uh, where they are standings wise. And I believe the the division leader in the Metro has thirty. I want to say thirty-one points. Thirty thirty thirty-one points. Either way, the division is, is obviously still not out of reach, but. I think the 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 re- the reasoning or using the term early in the season, I think that has to be thrown out the, thrown out of the window soon. And we have to start looking at these games for what they are. We're getting into the, the the grind of the NHL schedule. We're getting into the middle. We're getting into the meat and potatoes of it. We're getting into December, January, February. These are where these games have to be won. The Penguins have to find ways to win these games to will the team to get to get points to get wins. Because sooner or later, they're just going to run out of opportunities, and they're not going to make the playoffs. And I, I know that might sound extreme coming from a podcast in, in late November, early December. But, I, I mean, how many more times can you can you say, oh, they'll, they'll figure out a way, they'll figure out a way. That come, come March, April, this team will be a completely different team. Will they, though? I mean, there's enough evidence early in the season to say that this team – for however many holes this team has on defense or in net or in terms of their forward depth, I I don't think we're at a point where we can say, come trade deadline, one trade is going to fix all of the problems that this team has. So getting back to my original point after the super long and probably unnecessary tangent, having having Sidney Crosby back is exactly what this team needs. And and I just want to round out the the game last night uh, against the Avalanche was uh, truly a sight to behold uh, for for Sidney Crosby fans and for Penguin fans. And again, it is a shame that they did not come out come away with with a win and two points in Colorado because Sidney Crosby played he played as if you know he he was certainly deserving of that win, registering a natural hat trick. For the Pittsburgh Penguins, playing a little over uh, 20 minutes of total ice time, registering uh, seven shots on goal. Uh, it, it was, I, I mean, hat tricks are already hard to come by in, in this NHL. Uh, for Crosby to register a natural hat trick to, I believe his hat trick tied the game up at one point for the Penguins. So he single handedly put this team on his back and kept the penguins in that game against the avalanche. And unfortunately it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be at night's end with the avalanche winning six to three. But I I think Crosby, we've we've seen enough of Crosby where he can be a little bit streaky at times. Uh, He can go on runs like these with, with nine points in his last five games. And then he can unfortunately go quite silent for an extended period of time. And my hope is, and I'm sure your hope is too, Caitlin, that Crosby's play continues, and I think we're going to need we're going to have to hope uh, that that Crosby's play continues because uh, I just think time is running out to where you can throw these games away and, and just say, oh, we'll get them in in February and March. This team will be different. Uh, I don't think the Penguins have much more uh, leeway or, or wiggle room. They're going to have to start racking up two or three or four or five game win streaks here and there sprinkled throughout the rest of the season because otherwise they're just going to be they're just going to be middling in the bottom end of the Metropolitan Division in my opinion
1: yeah I agree um you know the captain he he has ice in his veins and I I think I mentioned this on on our Twitter that he is sick of losing he is he I mean obviously the rest of the team probably is too but this is this is Sidney Crosby we we're talking about you know like this guy is a lethal competitor who works his ass off all like 24/7 to make sure that he is the best at his craft. And the fact that his team who shouldn't be losing in the ways that they are is he's angry and he's I mean it was ev- it was evident in you know the game against uh the Avalanche last night. He literally and he's been doing this for the past 9 games ever since he returned. He literally put the team on his back and said, no, we're not losing this. Even though, in no way, shape, or form, the Penguins did not deserve to to even sniff a victory in that game. They played horribly. Um, They didn't create, like, any offense at all in the opening period. Um, They were letting the top line of Lannisgog, Rantanen, and uh, McKinnon, where they've been just unbelievable. And they were, once again, unbelievable last night. I think Rantanen's, like, he has, like, 31 assists. And the rest of them have more than... Either close to thirty points or more than thirty points each, and they ran all over the defense and that was evident in the score. it was three nothing I think in the second period until Sidney Crosby decided that he didn't like that and um you know scored three goals in a row in like five and a half minutes so yeah he's he's very tired of losing. You can tell in his post game interviews you can tell in uh, his media availability uh, during practices, where he's tired of being asked the same questions, he's tired of being, you know, asked why they're not winning or what's been going wrong. Um, you can just see it in his facial expressions and his body language; like he's sick of it. So, I mean, I, this this long streak of him having, I think it's nine points since he returned in what five, six games, seven. I don't even know what it is, but it's he's scoring like crazy. He's doing vintage Crosby things. He's making backhanded passes and scoring backhanded goals. And it's just, it's a marvel to see him play at this level. And I really just think it's, he's tired of it. And, and I think Adam Gretz, one of our writers, uh, pointed it out that the upcoming schedule for the Penguins, especially in December, is not terrible. And there there's an easy or not an easy, but there's a a viable opportunity for them to go on a run. I mean, they have the Flyers, they have the Islanders, who they were beat by, but, you know, it's still the Islanders. Um, They have the Senators, who they also got beat by. (laughs) But, again, it's the Senators, um, and it's not sustainable. The Blackhawks, too, the Kings, the Ducks. I mean, these are are games that they can win, and they should win. And that's, uh, you know a road that can very much spring them back into playoff contention and top uh, in the Metro. Um, so, I mean, there's, there are a lot of things that that the team can fix. They're all on display each night. They're all talked about at length every single day. It's just you got to get the defense working and you got to get the secondary scoring and you got to get the goaltending to be a little better than it is. <laughs> and coming from a, a hockey blogger, you know, that's that's all easy to say. But, I mean, at least the problem's... Are are out in the open and are being addressed, and hopefully, uh, I mean, yeah, like they're they're running out of time, so I I think they can be addressed. It was evident in the, the the Jets game that this team is very much capable of turning things around, and the last five games have been have been a testament to that. So it's just going to be a, a trunge through, you know, December, and we'll see how they come out at uh, the beginning of January. But hopefully, it's on a, a a lot better of a foot than they are coming out of November because I think every Penguins fan and team alike want November just blasted
0: from their memories. When, when, when you started talking about Sidney Crosby uh, and describing the kind of player he was uh, that, that really resonated with me uh, when you were talking about him being sick of losing. And I'm thinking back uh, I'm thinking back through Sidney Crosby's 13 year career here with the Penguins and Really, other than his rookie season where the Penguins, uh the, the Penguins as a franchise, a, a, as a team, th- there was some rocky road there really early on, uh, maybe during Crosby's rookie season and during his uh, second season. Really, really, nobody knew what was going to happen with this team, whether they were going to stay in Pittsburgh or, or, or be relocated. But the, the point that I'm trying to make is, other than his rookie season and, and maybe – Up until the 07-08 season, Sidney Crosby and that Penguins core hasn't experienced a whole hell of a lot of losing. And they haven't really lost in this kind of a fashion um, for such an extended period of time. Uh, Everyone in recent memory, everyone will be looking back to the Mike Johnston era and, and thinking, well, oh my God, Mike Johnston, this junior coach with no NHL experience has come into the NHL. And he's the bench boss of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's the bench boss of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And if you remember back to the the, the early Johnston era and really the the Johnston era as a whole, and I apologize to anyone, including you, Kate, if you have blocked the Mike Johnston era out of your memory, as you should. But uh, if you think back to that, that time in, in Penguins history, everyone was saying that Sidney Crosby was broken he, you know, he wasn't scoring goals. He wasn't registering points at the pace that he was accustomed to. And you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We later, you know, everyone would come to realize it was Mike Johnston who was anchoring down Sidney Crosby, having having him play um de- like defensive hockey first and foremost, and then and then focus on your scoring in the offensive zone. Uh, that was the scheme that Johnston was really relying on, and that was part of the reason why Sidney Crosby had lost his scoring touch because of the defensive responsibility that Mike Johnston placed on Crosby and everybody else. But towards the end of the Johnston era, I remember, you can remember because of what happened after that, winning the Stanley cup, the team in December, December of 24, December of 2015, before they brought on Mike Sullivan, the team was really floundering. Uh, and Jim Rutherford, you know, in the middle of December, wasn't afraid to, to make that coaching switch kick out Mike Johnston, bring in Sullivan. And after a rocky start to Sullivan's tenure, that team exploded and eventually obviously went on to win the Stanley Cup. The, the, the point remains, however, besides the, the, the Mike Johnston era and early on in Crosby's tenure, there hasn't been a stretch of games like this to start a season really in, in Crosby's career here in, in Pittsburgh. And I think to, you're right. He he's absolutely sick of going to these postgame press conferences and, and, and regurgitating the same stuff over and over and over again. You know, we just got to get better. You know, half the time, Crosby just transforms into a robot and, and, you know, just gives the same responses. But that's part of the reason why he's Cindy Crosby. Uh, he's sick and tired of, of losing. It's, it's, it's something that, as Penguin fans, you don't want to take for granted, and we've been spoiled with and accustomed with this this mindset of, you know the Penguins are guaranteed to win 45 to 50 games, and they're going to be in Stanley Cup contention. And now, all of a sudden, reality has come crashing down and slapped all of us Penguin fans in the face. And now we're we're here left to try and not rebuild. Not there's nothing to rebuild, but we just have to get the, the team itself has to get its bearings and, and find some consistency so that they, that they can get out of this 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 losing streak that Sidney Crosby and this Penguins core hasn't seen. And, you know, like you said, the, the schedule coming up provides a perfect opportunity for this team to write the ship. And it's all about consistency, consistency from the forwards, the defense and, and the goaltending, consistency as a team, as a whole to, to get in that win column. And I, I guess if you want to segue, I guess we can segue a little bit into the, the goaltending here, uh, but we want to save uh, we want to save a lot of the goaltending chatter for the great interview we have with Catherine Silverman coming up here uh, just a little bit. Um, but Kay, just before we get into that interview, I guess one of the I mean the, the defense has been a glaring issue for the entirety of the season. But we've talked we've talked about the defense and we've talked about Jack Johnson at nauseum on this podcast, and everyone who has a Twitter account has talked about how bad Jack Johnson is. I want to talk more specifically about. The goaltending was that the Penguins have suffered more recently because over the last seven game stretch since our last podcast, it was announced that Matt Murray will be sidelined until uh, the beginning of 2019 with, uh, I believe, I believe it was, I, I want to say it was a groin injury. I, am, am I correct in saying it was a groin injury? I don't think it was a concussion.
1: Uh, no, it was lower body. I don't know if they ever disclosed what it was. Um if you saw that it was a groin, I, I never saw anything. So you might be right. I've, I honestly have no idea. I just know it's lower body has nothing to do with a concussion, which is good news for him. Cause he has like a million. Um, but yeah, I think it's just something he he's tweaked, um, to the point where it's, it really needs to be rehabbed for a, a decent amount of time. So,
0: so, so going back to Matt Murray with this lower body injury, th- there's no exact timetable for his return. All we know, it's going to be it's going to be early 2019 is the goal. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It's it's longer term. Yeah.
0: And right, right then and there, that's, that's, uh, well, depending on your opinion of Matt Murray, that that's either, you're, you're either saying hallelujah or you're saying, Oh my God, what's, what's going to happen with this team? Because, you, for for however many struggles Matt Murray has had on the ice and off the ice, he's still the Penguins' number one goaltender, and I still think he should be he should remain the Penguins' number one goaltender for the remainder of the season when he is fully fully fit. But seeing how he's not here until 2019, the Penguins are are left with a goaltending duo, rather inexperienced goaltending duo of Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari, and um, you know the early results the early results haven't been all that positive. I, I mean, there have been a couple of, a couple of wins thrown in here and there, but there hasn't been consistency in net from either netminder. Uh, You know, if you watch, if you watch a game on Twitter, um, everyone's saying that the Casey DeSmith experiment needs to end right now. He, he's letting in too many soft goals. And then they bring up Tristan Jari on this emergency basis. Now that Matt Murray is out and Tristan Jari, I, I, Tristan Jari's first game was, oh God, I, I believe it was, was it last night against the Avalanche? Or... Um,
1: I know he has two games played and last night would have been his second. So I don't know exactly when his first star was. It might've been Dallas. I, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> Me neither.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> either way, you know, neither goaltender has been lighting it up in the stat sheet. You know, Everyone on, I mean, you don't want to trust. You don't want to trust everyone's opinion on Twitter for saying these goaltenders let in soft goals, but for having to rely on Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith still isn't an ideal situation. I think both goaltenders have the potential to be solid. Uh, solid replacements, solid backups. DeSmith more so than Jari, in my opinion, just because of Jari's pedigree as a second-round draft pick. And I believe he came. He came, Tristan Jari came with a lot of um, a lot of praise in his uh, while, while playing junior hockey, uh, which led up to him being drafted so highly in the NHL draft a couple of years ago. Whereas uh, Casey DeSmith uh, is an undra- the undrafted netminder out of New Hampshire but the point remains having to rely on these two guys with such little NHL combined NHL experience between these two guys. It's not something that puts a lot of confidence in me personally, just because these guys are so inexperienced and whatever skill these guys may have in net, is it going to translate to wins? I mean, right now wins are the most important thing for this team heading into December and January while Matt Murray is rehabbing. I I don't care where you came from, you know what? What kind of pedigree you came in, or what kind of stats you put up in the AHL? Uh, playing in the NHL obviously is a different beast, and the Penguins have to be focused on nothing else but getting the W right now. Can Tristan Jari and and Casey DeSmith can they provide that formidable duo to get the necessary wins in December and into January? I'm not so sure. Uh, so Caitlin, I'm going to throw it over to you. What 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 do you see from DeSmith and Jari? That maybe gives you a little bit of hope or confidence throughout the stretch of December and maybe into January.
1: Uh well, first of all, I'm gonna start out with a, a correction. Uh he he didn't start Dallas, he he started the game after uh against Boston.
0: Okay, yeah, um, that, that makes sense.
1: And I mean he was decent. He he sported a, a nine forty-six save percentage, only let in two goals. Um they didn't win that game, but he he played, you know, as as best as you would expect him to. Um and then he like i said he he started last night against colorado so yeah it it is two starts to your question i i'm i'm feeling very <sighs> troubled <laughs> and it's not that i don't have faith in either of these two guys it's it's kind of funny because literally last season when the penguins were experiencing you know their sort of hangover where they 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 were playing tired they had tired legs um just you know they they didn't seem like they could really get anything going um, the, f- the first half of their season was kind of similar to the season they're having now uh, but that was always chalked up to them being tired and them having you know back-to-back playoff runs and extended cup runs and what have you and we got a taste an early taste of you know Matt Murray being out for an, an extended period of time like we've you know gotten used to dealing with each each season that he, he's with us and Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith being The guys that have to step up in that role and trade off starts and sort of be, you know, adequate enough to string wins together. And at that point, we kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt because neither of them had made NHL starts before. But then since our expectations were so low, they ended up actually surprising us for the most part, at least in the starts that they, they had until Murray returned. Um, so now, like it's, it's funny, we find ourselves kind of in that same situation where Murray's going to be out for a long period of time and Jari and DeSmith have to take over, uh, be serviceable enough that, you know, the, the defense can play well in front of them and, you know, the forwards can score enough goals that they give them a little bit of a cushion so that they don't have to perform like elite goaltenders, but they have to perform average or a little above average. And, you know, coming from two capable backup goaltenders, I don't think that's too big of an ask. Um, But, I mean, right now, DeSmith has the better numbers. He has more starts. He has a better save percentage. Um, His goals against average is lower by about a point. So, I mean, DeSmith is capable of winning games, and he's shown that, and he's a perfectly serviceable backup. And I think – I don't know if that's his ceiling – um, but I think that the fact that we have him you know, on the depth chart has been sort of just something that's really a, a good thing to have in your back pocket. Um, and then Jari, Jari started out in the AHL. He didn't make the uh, – or he didn't win the goalie battle between DeSmith and him, so he got sent down to Wilkes-Barre and wasn't playing, like, sensationally, but wasn't playing poorly. Um he also had a goalie goal, which is fun. <laughs> but um, he was—he was, like I said, he was serviceable for the most part. And whenever they had to bring him up to be the backup to Casey the Smith, um, I think people are expecting him to be better than he probably is at this point in his, uh, you know, development. So, you know, piggybacking off of all of that, I—I I think that with the goaltending they have. With what I've seen in the wins that the Penguins recently had against Dallas, against the Jets, especially against, you know, Liney and Shifley and Wheeler with a decent forward group in front of them, um, it's very well possible. There's there's no reason why it isn't possible. Um, you just also have to look towards the defense that's played in front of them um, and, and pretty much go from there. So I don't think it's all – it's definitely not going to fall all – On the goaltenders, I'm not going to say that the goaltenders are the exact reason why Penguins won't ultimately five months from now, you know, break into the playoff. But I do think that they do have to play a little above average if they are going to keep this team within contention. But the defense has a lot of responsibility to make it not as hard on them. And we've seen that with the Smith defense tends to play a little better in front of the Smith especially when it comes to playing in front of Murray for some reason. Um, but if both of those things can figure each other out um, in tandem uh, going forward, I think that the Penguins will be totally fine. It's just whether or not they can you know, execute that.
0: Yeah, both of those things, like you said, have to coexist at the same time. Um, when looking at team defense and goaltending, um, that's something that you know, you know, in our fits of rage that we have wa- over this losing streak, watching this team lose to the opponents that they shouldn't have, shouldn't be losing to, everyone is so quick to to put to point the finger and put blame on the goaltender. I think that's because it's um, the the position as a whole often in, invites itself uh, a whole lot of blame because you, you know that man is tip- is almost always responsible for his job and that job being stopping the pucks in front of him from going in the net to keep obviously keep the lowest score possible for his team and I think with all of these games that they're losing everyone's pointing to either to Smith, Jari, or Murray and saying this goaltender sucks why is he here he should be in the ECHL and you know while that's a little extreme for either uh, any of these three goaltenders The the point, like you said, has to be has to be made and it has to be reminded to everybody that team defense matters just as much as good goaltending does. And, you know, like like I said, when we were starting this conversation about goaltending team defense and, you know, a a certain defender on this team uh, has been talked about at great length. And this the team's defense has been talked about at great length since the start of the season. And I don't want to beat a dead horse more than it's already been beaten. So I'll just say this. I Well, I, I agree completely with the points that you're making. That team defense has to execute just as well as the, the goalie behind them uh, is. It, it just hasn't happened yet. The Penguins do have the next three, four, five months to try and figure out an answer on defense. Whether Mike Sullivan realizes how to properly utilize Jack Johnson – uh, wink wink nudge nudge there is no proper way to utilize Jack Johnson uh, but besides that uh, you just have to hope that this team finds its rhythm uh, when playing defense in front of whatever goaltender is in net because it's not going to be there's not going to be a, a crystal clear path to the, I don't think at least there's going to be a crystal clear path to the playoffs like there has been in years past.
1: Yeah I agree with you um you know good goaltending all starts from you know the forecheck check to the neutral zone to the back check pinches being timed perfectly and making sure that the slot's not left wide open like we've seen you know countless times over the past 10 games or so but yeah it, it all has to work like a cohesive you know well-oiled machine and we've seen that uh by the Penguins in spurts. And those are the games that they're winning. And then we see it where the middle of the ice is left completely open or the back check was bad. Um, Positioning is bad. Uh, The pinches are timed not right or just pinched too early. They just are just not (laughs) good. And even you'll see line changes that are happening at really ill-advised times. So, like... It's it's very easy to blame the goaltender. Like you said, he is the fall guy. He will always be the fall guy because he's the guy with the pads and the mask and the blocker and the glove. Like that, he's going to be the guy that everyone falls back on and says, "Oh, he didn't save that one shot. Uh, suddenly, we should, you know, drop him to the AHL because he sucks." And it's just it's it's madness. You can't live and die by one shot or by one you know, miss save or by one really good save, you know, you got to take everything uh, into account. So that's why I say like they've at least DeSmith has been perfectly serviceable. Uh, Jari, we've only seen two games from him. So um, I I don't want to judge him too quickly. He has let in a couple of pretty soft goals, but it was in his first couple starts after finally coming back up to the NHL. So it may just be a thing where he needs to get used to the speed. Gets, needs to get used to the, you know the the type of shots he'll face. And honestly, I think once he becomes comfortable and he's seen a, a few more games, and you know we don't have his have any more backup or back to backs Excuse me. Um, that, too many back to backs in a row. I mean, um, I just I think they'll be fine. It just it, everything needs to come together. So it all. I think it'll all come down to how they fare in December, like I said earlier. Um, I don't want to say they're easy wins, but they're games without a doubt. This team with the talent that they have and the numbers that they have, they should be winning them.
0: Just to put a bow on this goaltending, uh, goaltending topic that we're talking about. Uh, I remember when I was uh, creating a Pence points post, uh, by the way, here's a shameless plug you can find my Pen points post every Monday Wednesday and Friday on Pensburg.com uh, Penence points is where you'll get all of the most relevant penguins and NHL news for all of your reading pleasure uh, that is the end of my shameless plug but I, I was <laughs> I was creating Penence points not too long ago it, it was probably it was probably a week and a half maybe two weeks ago and I, I, I'm it's a shame I can't remember what article it was from. But there was an article I was reading and it was about uh, it it was an article where the author had interviewed a former goaltender, if not a a couple of former NHL professional professional goaltenders. And they were talking about uh, putting the pads back on for these uh, like celebrity hockey games or, um, you you know, if you find two teams in the Winter Classic, uh, sometimes they'll bring back a lot of alumni and and they'll play an alumni game. and I remember reading uh, the article was about why goalies don't like to put a lot of goaltenders don't like to put the pads back on after they take them off for good. And it was a fascinating article and I felt it correlated perfectly with the discussion we were having because you, you brought up all of the things that have to go right, that it it just doesn't rely on one man sitting in blue paint with the pads and the mask and, and, and There are so many different aspects to team play that that go into a good performance by a goaltender like you were describing. And I remember a lot of these former goaltenders were saying the position is so isolating on one's body and one's mind that, you know, having to shoulder – even if it wasn't the goaltender's fault most nights there's there, there there's a good chance that the goaltender is still going to shoulder a lot of that blame if they don't get the w for their team and that's part of the reason why a lot of these former goaltenders don't put the pads back on is because they feel so isolated and a lot of those a lot of those memories start to come back into their into their memory bank and you know it's part of the reason why they took the pads off in the first place it's such a demanding position physically, mentally and emotionally and it's a position that we're so quick to crucify especially watching the penguins because of how much firepower the penguins have on offense. You know, we shouldn't have to be worrying about goaltending. We were blessed to have Marc-Andre Fleury here for over a decade and he was he, he was getting the job done more often than not um in a pretty pretty extraordinary extraordinary fashion. So it, it's just something that I think a lot of fans and a lot of Penguins fans have to really take a step back, take a deep breath. And real, like you, like you said, you can't live and die with one bad goal or one bad performance uh, from a goaltender.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And the point about the Flurry thing too, is everyone loves to remember the good times of Marc-Andre Flurry, And I love to conveniently forget all the, you know, terrible, terrible performances that he had performances that lost playoff series that kick them out of Stanley Cup contention. Like it's so funny to see how quickly people will, you know, jump on and off the bandwagon of each goaltender simply from how they handle one shot at, at at any given moment. So I think it's all silly. Um I gotta I take each goal with a grain of salt. I try to, you know, look at everything else um along with it too. And there's always instances uh that you'll see a really soft goal be let in, but there's always you know that um instance where it's it's not his fault and you know people are there are some people that are so passionate in the their hatred for a certain goaltender that they'll ignore everything else just because it fits their narrative so it's it's all crazy and fans are crazy and we're all gonna die one day (laughs)
0: <laughs> like it doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, let's end this conversation by putting it to bed. We're all just going we're all going to die one day. So you you know, quit quit trying to ride the coattails of Marc-André Fleury or Matt Murray individually and 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 just appreciate the team for what they've accomplished in, instead of looking at the the individual aspects or the individual the individual stats or or the good memories you have of Marc-André Fleury from the past. Uh, you're right when you say, you know, I'm sure a lot of these fans who on a nightly basis who crucify Matt Murray, um, you, you know, they're probably willingly ignoring all of the bad times that Marc-Andre Fleury had had in the postseason, like you mentioned, and just focusing on, you know, Fleury's presence in net for the better part of a decade, which, I mean, that's an irrational thought to begin with, in my opinion, but Hey, I, I'm not going to judge you do you. Uh, I'm just gonna keep. I, I'm gonna keep living the mindset like you live your mindset. You know, just take each goal with a grain of salt and try to focus on a different part of the game that is succeeding. Because more often than not, you know, you would think with the, with the lineup that this Penguins team has that they're going to find. You would think that they're going to find a way to win more often than not, even if that hasn't been the case early on this season.
1: No, yeah, definitely. And this isn't to say that the goaltending doesn't need to improve. It absolutely does. It hasn't yes, been good I agree. enough, but. That doesn't mean that it's god awful and <laughs> is not able to be fixed.
0: That will wrap it up for our goaltending discussion here between Kate and myself. But coming up next, we have a great interview with Kat Silverman of The Athletic, a former goaltender in her own right, who will be answering uh our questions as well as some listener questions provided by uh the fine folks at twitter.com who have interacted with our Twitter handle. You can follow us on Twitter. By the way, if you'd like to submit your own listener questions for next week's pod, that the Twitter handle is at Pensburg Pod at Pensburg P O D. If you'd like to submit any sort of listener question or feedback for next week's episode, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, but Kate, if you're already, I'm already, we can get straight into the interview with Cat Silverman. Absolutely. All right. Here is the Athletics, Cat Silverman. We hope you enjoy. Our guest for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast is a featured writer at The Athletic. She is a goalie in her own right, which segues perfectly into the into the debate that Kate and I were just having. She is Cat Silverman. Cat, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm doing well. So, Cat, uh, we know that your expertise lies in goaltending, and th- throughout this season, uh, the Penguins have been no stranger to goaltending struggles. Having uh, having been uh, on the receiving end of injuries to the Penguins' starting goaltender Matt Murray, and we've uh, had to we've had to endure the combination of Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari in net for the foreseeable future. Uh, but but looking at Matt Murray's injury specifically, uh, and it looks like it's a longer term injury. The Penguins won't see Murray until the start of 2019 at the earliest. Uh, with with Murray being cursed with this really bad injury luck and he wasn't really having a really great season to begin with, are there positives that you can take away from Matt Murray's play before he was injured or are there trends that you can look back on uh, in Matt Murray's sample size as an NHL goaltender that, that leave you with positives to look forward to when Matt Murray is fully healthy and in net for the Penguins?
2: For sure. Um, I know I was talking about it. Was Kevin Woodley of Ingle Mag and NHL. Com earlier? I think it was a couple of weeks ago here. Um, and we were just talking about, you know, what he, what he's done to improve his game this year. Because I know a lot of people, you know, he'd obviously statistically been doing so much better over his first two seasons. He, you know, won two consecutive cups. Started to struggle a little bit last year, and then really almost seemed to fall off the rails this year. People were you know, reacting as rationally as they tend to on fitting. But, you know, he's, he's never going to be good. Is he, is he just going to continue trending worse? Um, stylistically, he's been improving a little bit. Um, you know, one of his big areas of concern has been locker and glove. He, uh, his arms haven't necessarily been the strongest positioning-wise. Um, through the start of the season, that was looking a little bit better for him. Um, a good chunk of the goals that he was allowing were actually not Necessarily, his fault. He was actually facing a lot of cross ice, um, cross ice passes, a lot of cross, uh, a lot of chances that were crossing the slot line before they were going in. And he does tend to overcommit to the sides a little bit. That's something that when you see these goaltenders that have the extra flexibility and the agility, and particularly these ones that have these long legs, they sometimes do that. They go outside of their post, uh, outside of the blue paint, almost. You know over committing to the sides instead sort of over committing aggression wise and he does that at times which makes it a little hard to recover for those backdoor those backdoor shots that then become goals um but that's something that in theory isn't easy enough fix because that's not working on his stance that's not working on his hand positioning his tracking. that's just moving him in a little bit more conservatively and telling him not to skate as much so what we've seen through the start of the year is definitely fixable. And uh, when he comes back, assuming Casey Dismiss continues to play well, if the team's in a semi decent position, I know right now they're not as comfortably in the standings as they'd like to be, but they're not, you know, they're not the LA team. They haven't fallen completely off the face of the earth yet. So if they're in a decent position when he comes back, I think if there's some alleviated pressure for him, you know, if he sees that his backup can hold his own without him. For example, I think uh, that should, you know, help him from a comfort level. He should feel better about, you know, being able to allow one or two of those goals and not reverting back to what he used to do and almost yeah. the panic mode. So, I think there's a chance that, you know, he still has. He still time. He's young. I think. I think the, the season could turn around for him when he comes back.
1: Kat, you actually segued perfectly into my question. Um, you mentioned the cross-ice passes, how a lot of you know his performance has not been really to his fault. Um, he's just having a little trouble with the, the guys playing in front of him. Um, I wanted to ask you what difference there is, and I don't even know if there's an actual answer to this, but why is it that a defense would play better in front of one goalie rather than another? Um, a lot of times we're seeing Casey DeSmith. Uh, experience a lot better defense played in front of him uh than you know subsequently helping out the score sheet later on um but it seems like every single time Murray starts it just seems like the defense in front of him completely falls apart um and I just wanted to see if you had an like an actual definitive potential reason for that or if it's you know just how they play and it's not really a thing that you can define
2: so, so there are definitely reasons that that can uh that can hurt uh it, it's definitely a real thing you know and some some teams will even admit it i know uh last year for any western conference listeners for you guys uh if you guys watched any chicago blackhawks um once corey crawford went out uh the team openly admitted that they were yeah. playing to help jeff glass win games yeah. he was a career ahler and they more or less insinuated that they wanted to make it as easy as possible for him to transition, you know, to the NHL. And so they weren't necessarily doing that for Anton Forsberg, who had already proven through the first half of the season that he could hold his own. And so that ultimately ended up burning Forsberg because he's now in the AHL for them. But there's a chance that that's going on with uh, with the Penguins this you Obviously, a lot of their recognizable core are returnees. Um, Matt Murray's two pop runs. Um, And so a lot of those guys are going to remember that he's bailed them out of regular season games. He's bailed them out of playoff games. He's made these acrobatic saves that maybe weren't positionally sound, but he got the job done anyway. And so for Casey Dismiss, he's less of a no entity for them, and he's been playing most of his career in the AHL. So there's a chance that they're, you know, trying to make it just a little bit easier for him to transition, just make it, not not give their AHL goaltenders, for lack of a better term, a losing game from the start. And so that's, that's always a possibility. Um, I do know that some teams just happen to play better in front of some guys no matter what because of the defensive structure, because of how the goaltender plays uh, when it comes to playing the to depth, how well it complements the way that the defensive structure works. In St. Louis, for a while, I know that... Uh, Jake Allen was getting some better play. He the Blues back in the day, not this year, but because he was such an integral part of their breakout strategy that when they were playing under hip hop, it was working for them. You know, he was coaching the team who played to that strength, And when Brian Elliott was in net, it wasn't always a defensive structure that catered to his game, so to speak. And so even if he wasn't being actively – Thrown to the wolves by his team, their game just wasn't built up, for lack of a better term, for him. And so, there's a chance that that's what's going on with the Penguins too. um I do know that when it comes to those cross ice passes, those are those tend to be a defensive breakdown. So there's a chance that you know this is just lock of the bounce right now, um and it could be that they're you know allowing for those mistakes in front of Murray just because they they feel more confident that he can bail them out, and then they're almost like being on their best behavior in front of Casey Dismiss. But that's something that by the end of the year, we'll have a better idea, just because we'll have seen a full season sample size of what they're doing in front of Smith, And by that point, if they're just doing it because they're not sure how well he can play, it'll have evened out by that point. You won't really see much difference.
0: So, Kat, this is going to be more of a a long-winded question. So, I apologize if I go on a little bit longer. But I'm interested in getting your thought process on this. Um, the 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 narrative for for get, getting the casual hockey fan to to really get invested into the NHL is oftentimes it's it's getting increased goal scoring which increased goal scoring is great for offense but the one the one position that it really is a detriment to is the goaltender with lower overall save percentages and higher overall uh, goals against averages um do you think that there's a future with with your history being a goaltender is there a, is there a, a not so distant future where the NHL in order to Cater to the casual hockey fan and, and try and draw a bigger audience. Is there a possibility that uh, goalie equipment is is shrunk any more than it already has been, or that that nets are the net sizes are increased? And if that is the case, you, you know, if these, if this experimentation that you know that is already being mumbled about a little bit to try and change the game and increase goal scoring. If some of these changes come to fruition with these larger nets or, or smaller equipment for the goaltenders, uh, do you see that being a, a really severe hindrance to future goaltenders uh, possibly having to to relearn their angles or get adjusted to this new equipment or possibly new net sizes? Um. So
2: when it comes to the size of, the equipment I know that they're talking about it with the gloves um particularly you know with the catching glove they may want to shrink the blocker again that's something that I don't foresee officially being changed just because of the pushback they're going to receive in terms of injuries. I know that when it comes to the chest protector the guys have managed to adapt to it fairly well the biggest complaints that they're having are that the injuries like in terms of the bruising and the fatigue from it uh just because the new chest protectors are so close to the body, so it's not really absorbing the shots for them anymore. They're saying that it hurts more during practice, and so they've adapted to it by basically cheating during practice. You know, they've been adding padded shirts. They've been, some of them are still wearing their old chest protectors during practice just to keep themselves from getting injured. But it's not really changing the goal scoring um, when it comes to, you're not really seeing pucks going in, one inch narrower than they used to. You know, really the difference is not is kind of minute. Um, when it comes to the gloves and blockers, you can't really add like a padded glove underneath your gloves. And uh, when they shrink basically the wrist area too much on the gloves, uh, that's gonna break bones. So I don't think there's a chance that we necessarily see that. Um, when it comes to net sizes, I know that um, Mike McKenna, he's, he's an AHL goaltender. He's done a lot of work um, making people aware on Twitter. He, he likes to tweet about it. Um, the way that ranks are made right now, it would be very difficult to standardize a larger net across North America because it would be hard to get the, get the moorings correct in all of the nets from the NHL level down because a lot of these ranks aren't necessarily going to be able to afford the changes that need to be made. Um, the size of the area behind the net in North America, you can't really fit too much of a bigger net just because there's not enough room back there. It's a smaller rink here in North America. So I don't think we're going to see that. Um, That being said, uh, one thing that I know I was talking with one of the Coyotes players, uh, their captain, Oliver XM Larson, I believe it was last week. And he was saying that in the last couple of years, teams have started watching goaltenders and they've started not just watching to see, oh, you know, this guy allows a lot of pucks, blocker side, they're watching to see why. And if they don't understand it, their coaches are explaining it. And we're getting more coaches that are collaborative with the goaltending coaches when it comes to figuring out the systems and how to beat these goaltenders. So I don't necessarily think that we're going to see equipment shrunk because that's not necessarily safe and it's kind of the lazy solution, I think we're going to see the players finally catching up to what goaltenders have been doing. You know, we've seen huge advancements in what goaltenders have done stylistically and technique-wise in the last 20 years. Shooters really weren't keeping up with it. They weren't watching to see how the goaltenders were changing their game. Now they're starting to catch up with that. You know, they're watching the way that the goaltenders are playing. They're watching to see how they can beat them. They're practicing to beat them. And so I think that's where we're going to see our scoring increase in the long run. It's going to be from the shooters getting, you know, basically becoming more skilled. And that, more than anything, I think is going to improve the fan experience. Because watching 80s hockey again, that's not going to draw in too many new fans that are going to stick around. It'll draw in a few casual viewers for, you know, the funny, oh, why did that one go in goals that you're not really going to see the fans that genuinely enjoy watching these crazy nifty goals that look like you have no idea how they went in and that's that's I think what we what we need to get more fans in and that's that's what the shooters are looking at finally you know adapting for and so I think I think the game's going to eventually see another scoring uptick just based on that you know we're going to see skaters becoming more skilled again and shooters becoming more skilled again and that's that's ultimately
1: going to be what drives it. Kat, bringing it back to the Penguins specifically, um, we get a lot of questions about the ultimate Jari versus Smith debate and which one has a higher pedigree, which one is more suited to be a starting goaltender, who the Penguins should ultimately um, decide to be the backup goaltender. And in the offseason, especially leading up to the preseason, um, there was that, you know, ever... Uh, ever-present goalie battle between the two. And ultimately, DeSmith won the battle, won the backup role. And as you now know, he's started 15 games now and looks pretty decent. But I wanted to get your opinion on uh, DeSmith versus Jari and which you feel has the higher ceiling or a higher pedigree. um, And then who the Penguins should ultimately go with once Murray uh, comes back into the fold.
2: So I think that we haven't seen quite enough of Jari this year to be confident in what his stats are right now. I mean, he's sitting on an eight eight seven 8 save percentage in all situations, but he's only played in two games. That can easily go up or down. Um At the moment, I would say they'd be smarter to go with Casey Dismiss just because it benefits Jari more to get that additional AHL time, the development time, especially if they end up You know, if Murray comes back, plays well, they're going to rely on him pretty heavily. It does Jari no good to be sitting there on the bench for everything but the back half of the back-to-backs and, you know, an occasional game here and there where Murray's tired. So if I'm the Penguins, I go with dismiss just because, you know, it's better for Jari's development to be back down in Wilkes-Barre. When it comes to the pedigree, That's kind of a tough one because obviously Jari was the higher touted player when he came into the pros, but a lot of that, and I don't want to, uh, this obviously isn't the debate that we're here for today, but uh, Casey Dismiss did have, you know, he had an off ice issue when he was playing college hockey that did end up impacting his, his ability to play. He did miss an entire season. And that's something that's hard to come back from as a player, whether he, you know, putting all of that entirely aside, he worked his way from the ground up in their system and maybe didn't get the same opportunity, whether he should have or not, you know, putting that entirely aside. The pedigree difference is, I think it has less to do with their skill and more to do just situationally. Um, When it comes to their actual skill levels, I think that Casey dismisses probably an NHL goaltender. I think uh, were circumstances different, he probably would have been in the NHL a year or two earlier than this. Um, but that's, you know, that's not something that can be changed. So I think that Tristan Jerry is also an NHL goaltender. I just think he's, you know, maybe a year or two away, whereas Casey is maybe almost a year or two overbaked in the AHL. So that's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have a more, um, more fun, more, more laid back question for you. Um, And this is really broad and uh, you can take it any, any direction you want to, but uh, do you, when, when looking back uh, and I'm sure you have a plethora of of experience and games uh, to look back on, but when looking back at, at, and all of the hockey that you've watched um, with your uh, expertise being goaltending do you have one save from all of the hockey that you've watched? Do you have, do you have one save that, that sticks out in your memory bank and, and one save that you look back on and, and you're mesmerized by it? You, remember, you were mesmerized by it the first time and you're still mesmerized by it uh, going back and watching it today?
2: Ooh, I don't know if there's one particular save, but there is a series of games. Um, back when uh, the last true chance that Henrik Lundqvist had to win a Stanley Cup, during that series between the Rangers and the Kings. That was 2014. Um, that entire series, I mean, that had some double overtime games. I believe it had some triple overtime games. Staying up and watching those games, because that was, I mean, especially the ones out in L.A., Those it was like 2 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. Um, those games, the way that Henrik Lundqvist played those, was just absolutely unreal. And no one particular save stands out because, you know, all of that all of the overtime hockey is essentially sudden death. So every save he made was more or less saving his team. And uh he just I mean, he played it like it was a regulation, regular season game. He just looked so good and he looked like it was no big deal. And that that was probably I mean, if I had to go back and rewatch a playoff series I'm not a Rangers fan, but that's the one that I would go back and rewatch over and over because that was that was some of the best full I think I've ever
1: seen. Kat, I I would be remort or remiss to uh not ask you this before we leave. Um, and just because you're on a Penguins podcast with two Penguins fans, <laughs> we well, <yeah. laughs> we 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 have to ask you. And if you have no opinion at all, if you have no insight to this or honestly just don't care, please tell us because honestly we're at that point too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How how do you feel about Daniel Sprong and what do you think will happen to him by the end of the season? So
2: from what I've heard, And obviously everything that you, you know, end up hearing is rumor, it's hearsay. And so I try not to, I try not to take things too seriously. I've heard that the transition to playing pro after being such a standout player growing up has not been the easiest for him in terms of finding his place, if that's, I guess that's the most diplomatic way I can put it. But I'm curious to see how that goes for him. I, like you said, I'm. If I have no no interest in it, I do. It's not obviously. I'm not as panicked as a penguin fan would be. You know, I'm not agitated about it, but I am curious because I mean, he's very offensively gifted, and he only has two or he only has fourth. So excuse me. NHL goals in 42 games. That's, that's almost still on the own level, and there's a reason he just got traded for parts. Um, I think that Daniel song is much better than we've seen. I just don't know what it's going to take, for lack of a better term, to, to actually see that at the NHL level. And so I know it's kind of mean as a non Penguins fan, but it's one of those things where I always want to pop the popcorn, sit back, and just like watch how it unfolds. <laughs> So, and I mean that in the kindest way, like I don't want to see you guys suffer, but it's it's kind of fun to watch, you know, it's it's interesting seeing how a player like him manages to finally, you know, have it all play out, so.
0: Cat, no, trust me. I, I, I'm at my I'm at my wits end trying to figure out, and I'm sure Kate is too, is just trying to figure out how this Daniel Sprong saga is going to reach its conclusion. I, there, there are some Penguins fans out there who are going to stick by the guy just because. Um, I mean, the, you know that the Penguins have been in the win now mode for probably the last decade, and you know, for being in that win now mode, you know, you're going to sell off. Draft picks and and prospects for for rental players at the tra- at the trade deadline, and Sprong for, for for whatever reason Daniel Sprong has become a uh, has become quite the polarizing figure for for Penguins fans. Some, like I said, are going to stick by him and hope that he gets a consistent shot in the top six with Crosby or Malkin. And then there's some like me and probably maybe maybe even like you, like you said just want to sit back and watch the popcorn and like, just hope that this thing comes to an end as soon as possible. If he's not going to get playing time in Pittsburgh on the right side, because of how much depth the penguins have at right wing, then it might just be time for, for the penguins to try and ship him out and, and see if there is any value, you know, what kind of value he may get uh, on the trade market.
2: Oh, for sure. That's uh it's funny because uh I had actually really wanted a couple other teams to take a Kasperi Kapanen his draft year and I'd expected him to go much higher and then when he fell to Pittsburgh I was like oh they're so lucky and then obviously he didn't stick around so I almost want to see strong pan out just so somebody does <laughs> um but yeah I I honestly I mean I feel that thing that I have no idea but i I don't know how that's going to, and he may end up just needing to go somewhere else, and he may end up doing well somewhere else, because that, I mean, it happens, you know, but, yeah, I, I wish I had a better answer.
0: <laughs> well, Kat, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on the Pennsburg Podcast and, and share your insight and expertise as a goaltender into the the, the debate that we're having here, uh, watching Matt Murray rehabilitate, and in the meantime, watching Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari battle it out. Uh, But before you get out of here, where can all the fine folks who uh, are normally Penguins fans, where can all the fine folks find you? If you have any uh, sort of social channel that you want to plug, where can they find you and find your work?
2: Sure. Uh, If they follow me on Twitter, Twitter, I'm Cat M. Silverman with a T. Um, They can find me at Ingle Magazine. Um, They can find me at The Athletic. I do predominantly this year, I'm covering the Coyotes, but I'm also doing league-wide work with goaltenders, so... I am sure at some point you will see me covering the penguins because something has to be said about those guys. Um, but yeah, that's really where they can find me. Um, I'm always accessible on Twitter if they have more questions. I try to answer everything. I try to be nice about it too. Um, <laughs> I do my best. <it> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it.
0: All right, Cat. Uh, for Caitlin, I I, sp- I think I th- speak for Caitlin when I say uh, this interview has been fantastic. And again, I just want to thank you for your time for for coming on the podcast and and talking uh, talking a little shooty puck and, and a couple net miners with us.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and thanks for letting
0: me talk so much. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Cat. We'll uh, definitely definitely try to have you on the pod in the near future. Yeah, thanks so much. That was the Athletics' Cat Silverman. You can follow her on Twitter at Cat Silverman. Uh, a lot of her work is focused on uh, goaltending, obviously, uh, and specifically, she's lending her talents to the Arizona Coyotes goaltending, as well as goaltending around the rest of the NHL. Uh, you can again, you can find find a lot of her great work at the Athletic and on Twitter. Kate, do you have anything that you want to plug before we get out of here?
1: Um, other than plugging. Uh, the blogs twitter handles and uh, facebook you can find all of our content and analysis and columns game recaps and previews all of that good stuff over at pensburg on twitter and over at facebook you can find us at pensburg a pittsburgh penguins blog Uh, for me personally if you want to follow any of my um takes if you will um on twitter you can find me at Kate Divy, that is at K-A-I-T-D-I-V-I. Um, I'm trying to be entertaining over there, so hopefully you like what I got. Uh,
0: you can also find some of my wonderful takes uh, over on Twitter at GBahana at G-B-E-H-A-N-N-A. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, feel free to subscribe and rate this podcast on your streaming service of choice, uh, we are available through SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. So please, uh, if you if you really like what you're listening to, it would mean the world to myself and the rest of us here at Pensburg. If you could take thirty seconds out of your day and give us a five star rating on your streaming service of choice, uh, follow the podcast Twitter account if you haven't already. Uh, you can find the podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod. That is at Pensburg P O D. Feel free to submit any sort of uh, correspondences, any listener questions or feedback through the Twitter account. We also have an email address if you'd like to send anything through email. And If you don't have a Twitter, you can send anything you want through the email account which is uh, Podcast at gmail.com uh, and also, if you're interested, uh, before the game against the Philadelphia Flyers on December 1st, the Pennsburg crew is having a meetup at Buford's Kitchen right across the street from PPG Paints Arena. Uh, that, a few hours before puck drop, if anyone's interested, come say hi to any of us. Uh, we're all pretty cool people. We don't bite. Uh, and if you're lucky, uh, you'll be able to buy Mike Darnay a shot. He is celebrating his birthday Uh Mike is a, is a tremendous guy and one of the anchors here at Pennsburg. So it would mean the world to him if you would come and and buy him a celebratory birthday shot before the Flyers game. He may need it because we honestly don't know how this game against the Flyers could turn out, uh, depending on the way the Penguins have been playing, obviously. But uh, that, is, that is all I have to pass along. Again, if you're interested, it's Buford's Kitchen right across the street from PPG Paints Arena a couple of hours before – puck drop uh against the philadelphia flyers on saturday december 1st
1: also in regards to our social media and our uh podcast email um if you have any suggestions on a future guest anybody around the nhl media uh former players former coaches um you know retired players anything of that sort of nature if you have any suggestions or anybody that you would really like to hear from um ping us over at our email or on social and we can definitely try to set that up.
0: Uh, so yeah, that will just about do it for this episode of the Pennsburg podcast. Uh, for Caitlin Dividock, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, and uh, we will see you next week with a brand new edition of the Pennsburg podcast.